0: Lord, we praise You and we worship You this, this morning. We are so grateful that You are our God, that You reign and there is no God like You. You are the King above all kings, the Lord above all lords. You rule over our lives and You lead us by grace and mercy with a gentle hand. You are our our great shepherd. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. Lord, we praise you for Jesus Christ, the salvation that we have that you so graciously gave to us. Thank you for the faith that you've created in our hearts and for leading us to you, leading us to know your gospel, to know the hope that we have in you for leading us to believe and for leading us to salvation. Thank you that we can stand here today as brothers and sisters and, and worship and praise you and celebrate the salvation that we share. Thank you for your love. God, I pray this morning as we look into your word that you would lead us in that. You would help us to see what you say. And I pray that Your Spirit would speak to our hearts the words that we need to hear. Thank You that You are with us. I pray that You would continue to to work with our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. For those of you who don't, who may not, maybe or maybe you're visiting, uh, welcome. My name is Jason. I'm the youth minister here at Rosemont Baptist Church, and um, our pastor is out today, so I'll be filling in for him. Um, but I'm looking forward to this opportunity. I would ask if you would please pray for me that um, that God would use me to speak the truth this morning, would lead me as I um, read these words and uh, share them with you today. My this, this passage of Scripture is one that I look at fairly frequently. It's something that's um, special to me. Um, it's a hopeful reminder to me. It's a, uh, um, uh, it's a challenge and also a little bit of a warning, something that kind of keeps me alert, and helps me focus where God wants me to focus. And this morning I wanted to share that with you, and uh, hopefully I can do a good job of explaining what it means, um, because I'd love for you to get a sense of exactly how rich this is and what it is that Peter was sharing to the church um, in that day. So this hopefully will be a hopeful reminder for everyone here who has faith in Jesus Christ, a reminder of what we have in Jesus Christ. So I'd like to start out by reading some of this Scripture and just reminding us exactly what it is the Gospel has brought into our lives. So let's take a look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these things He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So the first thing I'd like us to notice this morning is that we need to see the riches of what God has already granted to us. And that's part of my prayer for you this morning is that you would capture this, that you would see the riches of what God has already granted to you. Notice in verse 1, Simon Peter, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who've received a faith of the same kind as ours, I like that part right there because it's just a quick reminder that this faith that we share as believers in Jesus Christ is not a strange faith. It's not something that we just made up. It's not a religion that we built to make ourselves feel better in a world of difficulties. This is something that has been passed down from generation to generation for centuries. This comes from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob down through the disciples and the apostles who witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the faith that we share, and it's a very special faith, it's a very unique faith, and Peter takes a few seconds right here at the beginning of his message to kind of expound upon the depth and the beauty of the gift that we've received from God in Jesus Christ. Some really powerful words, really rich words that I probably will not be able to um, do justice for this morning, but I'd love to... Have you look at them and just take a look and see how beautiful these things are. He says, this faith that we have that's the same kind as theirs, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ alone. The faith that we have comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. He didn't add anything else to it at that point. By the righteousness of Jesus Christ, not not by the righteousness of Jesus and a little of our righteousness, or by the righteousness of Jesus and a little bit of our good religion, but simply by the righteousness of Jesus Christ, we share in faith together. And he says in verse 2, "'Grace and peace be multiplied to you and the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness.'" Now, this is where we kind of begin to see Peter's heart for his people right here. He wants them to truly understand, to truly feel the grace of God and the peace of God. And he knows that the only way that that sense of grace and that sense of peace that can only come from God, the only way that will be multiplied in our lives is with a true knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's speaking to Christians. He's, he's sharing the gospel again to Christians not that they need to be saved again, but that they need to be reminded so that we can, so that our sense of God's grace and our sense of God's peace in our lives would be multiplied. And so he begins to share a little of what this looks like. He says, it would be multiplied by the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. And this is what he wants them to see in verse three seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. He mentions right there that the divine power of God has given to us and to be granted something is a gift. It It is something that God has chosen to give to us not because we earned it, not because we deserve it, but because He is a gracious and merciful God and He granted it to us and by His great power He accomplished this and we know that because we know the story of Jesus Christ that it took great power to achieve our righteousness. If I was to pay the price for my own sins, I am not powerful enough to pay the price for my sins and rise from the dead to live for all of eternity. I have the ability to pay the price for my sins and die for all of eternity, and that's it. But Jesus Christ paid the price for my sins, and He had the power to be risen from the dead to be victorious over death, to be victorious over sin, and to achieve for us a new life, a resurrected life, a resurrection life. And he says, seeing that the divine power is granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, not a little, but everything that we need for life everlasting, for life in Jesus Christ, for eternal life, for the new life, for a life apart from sin, for a life freed from sin, for a life walking in the Spirit of God, the life that God wants for you and for me. He's already given us everything we need for that. And He's given us everything we need for godliness. And then He mentions... He he does this through the true knowledge of Him who calls us by His own glory and excellence. Who is it that has called us by His own glory and excellence? That is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who is glorified. Jesus is the one who is excellent. He lived the excellent and perfect life. And He died on the cross as the perfect payment for your sins and for mine. And because He called to us to believe in Him and to put our faith in Him, and He gave us the ability to have that faith, and we responded with faith, then we have received everything we need for life and godliness. This is already granted to us. Then He says this, verse 4, For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. And so all throughout God's word, we see the precious and magnificent promises of God. Sometimes God specifically promises us things, and we know that God's never broken a promise. And sometimes we see simply there are promises in the character of God that is unchanging, because God never changes. And because we can rely on an unchanging God and a God who never breaks His promises and a God who has promised us life, we know that we, He has also promised us His very presence. And so it says in, the, in verse 4, we have become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now to become a partaker means that we receive something, we take something, we are able to take a portion of something. We know that we were created in the image of God. We were designed by God for the purpose of reflecting His quality and His image. For the purpose of revealing His glory to this world. But that was corrupted by sin. But we also know that in Jesus Christ, by His grace that image of God is being restored because we put our faith in Jesus Christ and he has brought salvation to us he's given given us everything pertaining to life and now God has begun that transformation work in our lives where he is beginning to work out of us the sin that is displeasing to him and he's beginning to work into us the righteousness that is pleasing to him and he is building these things into us but also in addition to that he's given us something very special he's given us his very presence He saved us by Jesus Christ, but He dwells within us through the power of the Holy Spirit. The divine nature of God dwells within us, not that we become anything of God or any part of God, but that the Holy Spirit walks inside of us, and we are now allowed to walk with God in this life. And there's some very powerful implications to these truths. These are very powerful, big, weighty words that He uses to describe The simple message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's because there's so much richness in this. Peter knows that if we can truly get a grasp of the gospel and just exactly what it is God's done for us and in us and is doing through us through the power of the Holy Spirit, that our sense of God's grace and peace would be multiplied on this earth and it will affect the way we live our lives Now, when we're given the power of the Holy Spirit, I think it's kind of an elusive concept for us because we don't always spend a lot of time talking about the Holy Spirit. We don't always spend a lot of time talking about just exactly what it means to be walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. This past week when we were having vacation Bible school with the teenagers, we spent some time studying through the subject of the Holy Spirit and we watched a sermon by um, a speaker and writer named J.D. Greer and he was talking about the Holy Spirit. Specifically on this one day, he was talking about the, uh, the question that comes to our minds sometimes about what it, what it means when God seems absent. We know that the Spirit of God is in us. We know that God's Word says that He's he's promised to never leave us or forsake us. We believe that. Yet, there are times in our lives when it seems like God's done just that. It feels like God's forsaken us. And we know all throughout Scripture, we see throughout the cries of the men of God that they came across the same sense in their lives. Men who went through very difficult seasons and they cried out to the Lord out of sheer desperation for the presence of God because in that moment they didn't feel the presence of God. And when we were watching this sermon, he said this, J.D. Greer said, It is an illusion. It has to be. This sense that God has forsaken us is an illusion. It has to be. Jesus was abandoned for us so we wouldn't have to be. We know that Jesus Christ suffered and died and was rejected by God so that we would not have to be rejected by God. But the fact of the matter is we do go through seasons of life where that sense is very real. We go through seasons where... We're praying to God and it seems as though God doesn't answer. We go through seasons where we're struggling with sin and we're praying for victory and we continue to wrestle with those sins and we wonder where is God in the middle of this battle that I'm I'm facing right now? Where's the victory I see these men of God achieve throughout all the stories of God's word? Where is this in my life? And we need to get to this place where we get a, such a great sense of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we are able to understand that we have already been given everything that we need for life and godliness, even if we feel at some times as though God is absent. We have been given the divine nature, and He has given us the ability to escape the corruption that is in this world. Notice in verse 2, He says, "'Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ.'" He was not asking in that moment for God by grace to give them more blessings. In this moment, he was asking them by God's grace. He was asking God by His grace to give them knowledge of what they already had. The thing is, when it comes time for struggling with wondering where the presence of God is, we're looking for peace, we're looking for comfort, we're looking for God's voice. We're looking for instruction, we're looking for wisdom, we're looking for counsel, we're looking for rescue, and there are times when we do not feel peace in the moment, but because of what we know about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we know that it never changes, we choose to find peace by faith. Because there are definitely times when peace is not accompanied by a feeling. Feelings are deceptive, but God never changes. And what God has established, no one can undo. What a great truth to hold on to. I think there's so much more in that spot right there. Um, I don't believe I have the ability to put it into words. But my prayer for you would be that somehow you would find a way to dig into God's Word And to re-preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to yourself. Find the story of Christ and God's hope and everything that He has already granted to you because this is your identity. This is who you are. This is who God's made you to be. You are the beloved in Christ Jesus to those who've received a faith of the same kind as Paul and the apostles. This is who we are. Find a way to find comfort in that. The next thing I'd like us to see is that Peter mentions, he goes on after kind of reassuring them of the gospel and giving them this encouragement and giving them this hope, he dives into kind of a challenge and and he says, I want you to do your best to build on and increase your faith. Do your best to build on and increase your faith. He says this in in verse 5. He says, Now for this very reason also... Applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now this, he uses several really powerful words. In verse 5, he uses the word applying, and that word apply means to do one's best. And so he's specifically encouraging the Christians, I want you to work. I want you to do your best. And then he uses the word supply, and that means to add to or to build on. He's encouraging the Christians to do your best to add to or to build on because you know the gospel, because you are saved, because you are gods and you already have everything that you need for life and godliness. I want you to go and live it. And that requires obedience. And that requires Work. It requires diligence, not that we're going to achieve our salvation. We're not doing anything to add to our righteousness because there's nothing we can do to add to our righteousness. We are only righteous by Christ and that in Christ alone. So we're working because we have been transformed by the grace of God and we now have a desire to walk the way of God and the Spirit of God dwells within us and our desire is to walk in the Spirit of God and not walk in the flesh, which reflects our former life. It is not a reflection of who we now are. Our identity is not sinner any longer. God doesn't call us by that name. We still sin, but God calls us saints. That means His holy ones. He calls us the beloved. We're called the brethren, but we're never again called sinners. What a blessing. And so there's this challenge. I'm reading this book by J.C. Ryle uh, titled Holiness. Um, I'm reading it with my brother Jeremy down here. He may or may not have read anything this week. I'll call him on that later. But uh, we're reading it together, just kind of challenging each other, encouraging each other in that. But there was something it said in that book that stood out to me. It said, this is what J.C. Ryle said, The plain truth is that men will persist in confounding two things that differ. That is justification and sanctification. In justification, the word to be addressed to man is believe, only believe. In sanctification, the word must be watch, pray, and fight. The thing is, sometimes we, we get the two confused, and I think Peter does a really good job of kind of explaining the balance between both of those. As Christians, we are called by Jesus Christ to, put, to believe, to believe in Him. And as a result of believing in Jesus Christ, we are justified before God, made right before God. We are reconciled to God. We, are, we were at once at war with God because of our sins, but now we're made right with God. God is no longer angry with us because he turned his anger towards Christ. And because of the belief that God created in our hearts, we're justified. We don't have to do anything else to add to that. Then we are called as Christians to be sanctified, to pursue holiness and to continue to put away the filthy rags of our former life and to continue to seek pursuing the righteousness that God's called us to live. And so then he gives us kind of this list of things. He says, applying diligence in these things, in your faith, supply, moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control. What I want you to notice about this list that he, he made, he could have written it a different way. He could have said, I want you to supply moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. That would have made it a lot shorter. But he didn't want to just give us another list. This looks different because it really implies the building upon itself. The building up. That's why he said supply. You're adding to, you're building on. When I think about the transformation of a Christian believer, somebody who follows Jesus Christ, um, I think of a number of things. First of all, from a child's perspective, my my children, they, they love playing Legos, all right, it's one of our favorite things to do, we like to get our Legos out, we like to play Legos, and the um, great thing about Legos is it comes in a box and all the pieces are already there, right? I don't have to go online and order them all individually, they're all already there and there's a little book with instructions in there, fortunately it has no words, just pictures, all right, so uh, that's what makes Legos so amazing, so the great thing about it is all the resources are already in the box, But it takes diligence and following of instructions to put it all together. But The great thing about this is that, you know, me and my children, we work on that together and we build something. It's kind of, it's an okay illustration. The reality is, uh, God has put within us everything we already need for life and godliness, and He's the one building us. We're not the one building ourselves. But at the same time, God's telling us we can't be lazy. God's telling us we have to pursue Him. We have to pursue an active and abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. One that allows the Holy Spirit to do the work in us that He wants us to do. It's like a sculptor who has a rock, but in his mind he has an image or a picture of what he wants to make that rock look like. And so he's chipping off everything on that, on that, on that rock that he doesn't want. And eventually the form that begins to take shape. God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, chips things out of our lives through life and experiences and circumstances and godly wisdom and counsel and mistakes that we make and God's Word that we we heed. He's he's removing the things of our lives that that are ungodly and things that He doesn't want so that we can begin to take shape, that we can be transformed into the image of God, that we can reflect His glory with our lives. And it's like a painter who takes a blank canvas and begins to paint colors on it so that it can reflect the image that 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 painter has in His mind, you know, God begins to take the godly qualities of His character and His wisdom and His instruction and begins to to fill our lives with those things and the Holy Spirit begins to manifest Himself through us. It's nothing that we are doing, it's nothing that we have made ourselves to be, but it is simply allowing the Holy Spirit to manifest His fruit through our life. It's the evidence of a tree that's alive. A tree that's alive has roots that are in the ground drawing water into the fruit. And it produces good, healthy, vibrant fruit. The Holy Spirit in our lives reveals Himself by producing these kinds of qualities. And so he says, build upon yourself moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. These are the kind of qualities he's saying, I want you to pursue. I want you to work on building these into your life. The reality is, as you pursue Christ, you will begin to see these things coming. Then he says in verse 8, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So why do we need to do this? Why do we need to pursue this kind of a relationship with our Lord? Because there's a little bit of a warning here. There's an indication that there's a possibility that as a Christian, we could become unfruitful and useless as we live our lives. And goes on in verse 9 and he says, "...he who lacks these qualities is blind or or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins." This is kind of a, um, it's honestly a little bit scary, but it's something I wanted to point out to you. That we need to be careful of becoming blind or short-sighted in our faith. Because God wants us to be fruitful and God wants us to be effective and He wants us to use us. He wants to use us for His glory in this world, to glorify Him and to enjoy Him, to pursue Him and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be a part of His work, to be a part of His mission on this earth. But it is very possible for us, if it's, if we're not careful as Christians, to become so complacent and so content with just the simple fact that we have been saved by Jesus Christ. That maybe we get, we get involved in all the everyday, mundane, routine activities of life and we forget just how much we've been forgiven of. And we forget just how deep the gospel is and just what it costs Jesus Christ. And we forget just how rich we are in Jesus Christ. And as a result, we, we kind of become, become numb to the gospel. And we go on living life... And we begin to veer away from effectiveness in ministry, in the body of Christ, in our families and leading them to the gospel and leading our children to Christ. There's definitely a, there's some pretty harsh words. He uses the word blind. I remember in uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. He says he wants us not to be conformed to the world. That's our old life. We used to be conformed to the world. So don't go on acting like you're still lost in your sins. He says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's the pursuit of Jesus by taking God's Word and consuming it. And not just just reading the Bible for the sake of gaining knowledge, but reading the Bible for the sake of having a conversation with your Savior. Looking for Him, getting to know Him, eagerly desiring more of God. It's not just singing a song because it's what we do, but singing a song because you're adoring your Savior. It's not just going on a mission trip because it's a good thing to do and it's a good deed, but it's because you love God and you love His people and you love the lost and you want to see them come to know Jesus Christ. This is a, a, a relationship with Christ that causes you to move, that causes you to, to be desperate for more of God, desperate for the Spirit of God to, to change you and to transform you and it's easy to lose sight of that. And so that's why he's saying we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and then we will know what God's will is for our lives. One of the big questions I hear all the time is, what is God's will for me? How do I find out what God's will for me is? And he's saying if we do not continually abide in Christ and seek the Spirit of God in our lives, then we will become complacent and blind and we will lose sight of God's will. We won't be able to know what God loves and know what God hates because we want as Christians to live in what God loves and to avoid what God does not love And then he uses the word short-sighted. We become conceited. We become self-centered. We sometimes maybe even assume that the Bible is all about us. We assume that every story in this Bible has a personal meaning to it. And God is teaching us so much in in every story of the Scripture. But the reality is it's not all about us. It's all about Him. It's all about His glory and His honor. And we become short-sighted because we lose sight of the fact that it is God that we serve. It is God who saved us. We did not save ourselves. And we worship Him. We serve Him. We live for Him and not for ourselves. And when we become short-sighted, everything gets flip-flopped and we begin to serve ourselves and live our lives for ourselves and our own selfish ambitions. In Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, explains how this can easily happen. He says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Heart and do not lean on your own understanding, you know that so many people in god 's Word leaned on their own understanding. We see visual illustration after visual illustration. If you look at just the book of Jude, our judges, excuse me, you look at the book of judges and you see the nation of Israel living in wickedness and sin, so God raises up a judge, and they all repent, and they get right with God, and then the judge dies, and then what do they do? They go back to sin doing what's right in their own eyes. And then God raises up a judge and they get a little straight and then the judge dies and they all go back to doing what's right in their own eyes over and over and over again. Finally, at the end of the book of Judges, he says, everyone went back to doing what was right in their own eyes. And then they rejected God as their king and they got kings. Then came the kings and everything just got worse after that. That's what happens when we live by our own understanding. That's what happens when we live blind and short-sighted. We do what's right in our own eyes and it leads us to sin. So he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not in your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. This is what we need. He makes our paths straight. We don't make our paths straight. He makes our paths straight. Whenever I'm trying to figure out how to make my path straight, I just get confused. And I get depressed and I get scared and I get anxious. There is no peace in that. But whenever I acknowledge God in all of my ways and I seek Him and I take every action that I do and I give it to God and say, God, take this and do whatever you want with it. God, take me and use me for your will and for your glory. God, today, here's what I think I'm going to do today. What do you want me to do today? God help me to honor you with these tasks. Help me to honor you with the ordinary and the mundane and the and the the stuff that doesn't seem to matter. God help me to glorify you in all things. With my as a husband and as a father and as a as a leader as a pastor, everything, every aspect of my life. God, take me and use me. Help me glorify you. And then he says here: for he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted and having forgotten his purification from his former sins. It's easy to forget we get involved in life and we forget sometimes but the reality is it's dangerous because it can cause us to become useless and unfruitful in the kingdom of god and that's a real concern so man that's kind of harsh call somebody useless unfruitful kind of a waste of life it does seem a little bit harsh but god's indicating that as christians it is possible for us to be complacent And passive to the point that we're not useful anymore. And it's very sad. Lost people, when you talk to them and you share the gospel with them and you try to reason with them about the truth and you hope to convince them of Jesus Christ. I've talked to many who've struggled with Believing in God simply because many people have come to them saying that they were Christians. But those Christians um, were continuing to live in such a way that it, it was as they were saying they were free from sin. But it was as if they were not free from sin. We're saying that we've been changed by God, but we're living as though we've not been changed by God. We're saying that we have the power of God, but we're living as though we don't have any power from God. And to a lost person, that's absurd. To a lost person, they look at us and say, Well, there's really no difference, so this must not be real. That's the message we're communicating when we live a blind and short sighted faith that's passive about the life God's called us to in the gospel. So, my prayer, my prayer for you is that we would get an understanding that this claim by Peter, this gospel, is power for us to move and to be changed and to glorify God with our lives. Notice this verse right here in verse 10. He says, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about His calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. You know, if we find ourselves living a complacent Christianity, which happens at times, the first place we need to go is back to the gospel. Either we need to be saved... Because we never really understood the gospel to begin with. Or we need to repent and be reminded of the gospel. So this is where we're at. But this verse right here kind of stuck with me because it's actually really hard to wrestle with. At the end of this verse he says, For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. That is an extremely strong statement. In fact... I'm not even sure how that happens. He says, as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. I've never actually met anybody who's come to me and said, I practice these things and now I never stumble. I can't say that either. But what I do believe is implied in this passage of Scripture that, that is specifically that he's referring to is the power of God. He's speaking about the very real power of God that will transform us and keep us from sin. What is it God said in Psalm 119? He says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. There is power in God's word. There's power in the spirit of God. And this is what Peter's reminding them of. Hey, if you're living a complacent Christianity, you need to be reminded that... There is great power in knowing the gospel. There's great power in the fact that you've been saved by the gospel. There's great power in being granted everything pertaining to life and godliness. There's great power in becoming partakers in the divine nature of God. There's great power in walking by the Spirit. So why wouldn't we pursue it? Why wouldn't we be diligent about it? That's why he said in verse 5, Now for this very reason also. This is the reason. We're going to be diligent about our faith. This is the reason we're not going to be casual about our faith. This is the reason we're going to be serious about it. We're going to be passionate about it. We're going to be excited about it. And when there's an opportunity to get into God's word, we're not going to sit back and just go, oh man, another Sunday school class. We're going to go, man, I'm excited about what God's going to reveal to me, to my heart today. When I wake up in the morning and I, and I feel like sleeping some more and I realize I need to get God's Word in and I need to look for the face of God, I choose to go find God and to go look for Him. Not just to fulfill my daily reading plan for the day or to get through that little short devo that I'm doing or scratch out a little note so that I can show that I've been doing my devotionals, but I'm getting God's Word out because I want to find God. I want to see His face and I want Him to change me. And I'm hoping by God's grace that if I choose to take on my cross and follow Jesus today and I begin to pour God's word in myself and I remind myself who I am for today, that somehow throughout the course of the day, the Holy Spirit's going to keep me from sin. This is what I pray for. This is why we fight. That's why all throughout the New Testament he he tells us, he says, fight the good fight of faith. That's why he says bodily discipline is profitable for a little, but godliness is profitable for all things. We need to fight. It's hard work. It's difficult. But we're met in that fight with the power of the Holy Spirit. David and Goliath, you know the story. David, he had to throw a stone. It took a little bit of work. Probably not as much work as, you know having to memorize a whole lot of God's Word. But he was able to pick up, he probably took a lot of work to figure out how to shoot that thing straight. I know if I made a little sling and put a stone in it and threw it or slung it around, I could throw it. I did when I was a kid, broke some stuff. But um, I never could quite figure out how to get it to go straight. Um, So he had some practice. But you know what's really great about this is that it really wasn't David that killed Goliath. It was God that killed Goliath. It's really not us that will change our lives. It's the Spirit of God that will change our lives. So the last thing I want to share as we, as we finish is this. Um, we need to always remind each other. We need to be ready to remind each other of our life and godliness that we share together. In verse 12, he says, Therefore... I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right, as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling, that means his body, as long as I'm alive, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, basically meaning, I think I'm going to die soon. And so he says, as the Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, I will also be diligent, so he's working hard, that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. His desire, his goal, his vision, his perspective, the reason that he was sharing this was because he wanted to remind them and remind them and remind them and remind them until they got it until they really understood it because he wanted to make sure that when he was gone they would remember it this is why this is why we need to remind each other as a church as a body of Christ brothers and sisters in Christ We need to be able to, throughout our trials, throughout our tribulations, and throughout our struggles and battles with sin in life, we need to be here for each other to remind each other of the gospel. Not so that we're constantly trying to get each other saved, but we need to remind each other that we're saved. When a brother is stumbling into sin, we need to remind him that he's saved. When we're struggling with doubt and anxiety and fear that's crippling, we need to be reminded by a brother that we're saved. That when all is said and done and all of this is over, the reality is we'll kneel before Jesus Christ and confess Him as our Lord and Savior. What a wonderful day that will be. This is why we teach the gospel to our children and our teenagers. Because we want them to remember when they're not with us. We want them to remember who they are and whose they are. I had a teenager this week tell me that. He said he went to, went to some camp and uh, his grandmother, right before he went, said, I, I want you to remember who you are and whose you are. And he went away to camp and some bad things he was telling me about him took place and he remembered the words of his grandmother and he remembered everything he'd been taught and he chose to do the right thing. Because he remembered that he was a Christian and that's not who he was. Now we know that's not always the happy ending that we hear. But that's why we remind each other. And this is my prayer for you. My prayer for you is that God will give you the grace to see the riches of what God's already given you. To do your best to build on and increase your faith. To be careful of becoming blind or short-sighted in your faith. And to always be ready to remind others of their life and godless that we share. That's my prayer for you. It's that God will, by His grace, build you into this kind of Christian. I would like to invite you to stand as we pray together. And as we pray and sing, I'd like to invite you, if you would if you'd like to, the altar is open. You're welcome to come and just seek the face of the Lord pray about anything that's on your heart maybe it would be to just come down and thank God for salvation maybe it would be to come and cry out for forgiveness for being complacent maybe you need to cry out for salvation because you know that Jesus is the Savior and you need Him to save you So in this next minute, as I pray, you're all welcome to come. And as we sing, you're welcome to come. God, thank you so much for your grace and your love and your mercy. Please lead us. Help us to walk by faith and not by sight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you.